the base of marketing is psychological, right? Commerce is part of how people think, how people behave in the real world. So if you understand that someone has a need and you can fulfill it, they would pay you to fulfill that need. So I just had to find the problems and provide the solution. So to me, it was like simple. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Selling with Love podcast. We're having another live edition. So if you're just listening to this, know that on YouTube, we're actually broadcasting the video of the podcast. And as opposed to being at home recording virtually with people that I have across the world, I actually have an amazing guest. I was right here in Bali. So we had a chance to book an amazing studio. We're here in our proper meditative pose. You'll realize this man also is a former Valley employee. So we're bringing in our Zen. We're gonna talk about selling with love and I'm super excited for the content we're covering today. So Neil Atim is actually, as I mentioned, a colleague that worked with me at Mindvalley. He was running product launches, millions of dollars, bringing in for publishing authors in personal growth space. And now he's actually working with some of the, well, perhaps authors you might've heard of, such as Jordan Peterson, and also working with companies such as coaching.com, where he helps them optimize how they do launches, how they promote their products, and how they can really increase their revenue through strategic partnerships around marketing, sales. And it's so impressive the kind of work that he's able to do able to do because he's a man that looks at the numbers and does what works. And we're going to unpack a bit of those things that you should know, whether you're just getting started or you're at that point, maybe midway through your six figures of income, and you're trying to break through the seven figure and scale the business further. There's new things you need to start paying attention to. And we're going to speak about that and learn more about Neil's journey as well. Neil, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. I need you to intro me everywhere I go. That's okay. <laughs> I'm available for hire. You know? <laughs> Everything's for sale. You know, it's really cool because I actually had a chance to meet you in the most random of circumstances while we were at Mind Valley, and this premises a bit of the the attitudes that come from you know some of the people that I would consider really awesome and that really had you know a certain presence about them while we worked together because we weren't on the same team at all. Matter of fact, I've never interacted with him at the office. We were maybe around 230 people at that point. We had different office levels. So we weren't connected because we were working on different teams. And so one day I ended up signing up for one of those Spartan races. Those are, you know, run a few kilometers, do a ton of obstacles. And it's mostly something reserved for people that are a little crazy, but definitely dedicated and have an interest in health and fitness. So I get to the starting line for my race and lo and behold, another gentleman is right at the start line and that was you. Yep. And we're like, hey, we work together. I, we know about each other. So we end up racing that together. We then further on continued on that journey, went to do a more incredible race in the Philippines. And nonetheless, great work ethic, strong personality, but you came into Valley and you already had a lot of marketing experience because you weren't hired as a junior there. And I want us to kind of go back into the origins. Like, how did you get into marketing? What was that all about? Yeah. So for me, I actually, my background started in computer science when I studied my degree and all of this. But uh, as you know, I'm from the Caribbean. I'm from Trinidad and Tobago. And back then I couldn't get a job. I was like 18, 19 at the time. And I started uh, dabbling with marketing. And then so happened that I decided to start an agency. And the way it worked for me is that I had a funnel and I didn't even know what a funnel was. So my funnel was this. I did Facebook ads for logos. And my thought process was that 
if companies needed logos, it means that they're in the beginning stage. And these were brick and mortar companies, okay? So I would get them in for like $5 a lead and then I would charge them maybe 100 bucks to get a logo. However, that wasn't the real sell. The real sell was actually a website, which would be a couple hundred, a couple grand. Like the logo was just the tripwire offer, as they say. And then the thought process was that this is a new company. If they need a logo, obviously they would need a website. And then from there, how can I keep them on a retainer? It would be maintaining a website with an annual fee. So that way I had a series of clients coming in with the logo, getting the website for just a one-time revenue and then subscription revenue coming in annually by keeping them on retainer, updating their websites, doing maintenance. And that lasted for like seven years. Even while I was in Mind Valley, I kept it for like one year, two years, but it was based in the Caribbean with clients there. And I didn't really have anyone to take over full-time because I had employees part-time that I would outsource to actually build software, help out with websites. Although I did some of it myself, initially, like it became easier to just outsource. And I decided to sell after six or seven years of having that agency and then full-time in Mind Valley. Well, you started this and you were like 18 years old. Yeah. So like most people, when you talk about this whole funnel, like, you know, I'm very experienced in marketing and sales, so I'm aware. And by the way, in Selling with Love, we don't say tripwire. We say welcome, Matt. <laughs> because <laughs> like we don't like the terms, right? But I understand I know, I know. I, it is what the term is known in the industry anyways. And that's kind of a low price point product that you get people to at least become a customer. So it earns a lot of trust. So, well, okay. Like I learned that through the work I did, you know, in online marketing companies, et cetera. But you're 18, you start reaching out to these companies. How do you end up knowing that these are some substantial activities you could do to generate business? Like, where did you get inspiration from? Because most people would think, oh, it's only when you go to America and you get to see things like that. You're here in the Caribbeans, yet you're figuring this out. What happened? Honestly, I would say, okay, a lot of marketing is technical, right? However, instead of focusing on logical the base of marketing is psychological, right? It's how people think. And once you start going into that, like from a young age, from the time I was a teenager, I'd studied philosophy and psychology and just trying to understand how people think. Now, commerce is part of how people think, how people behave in the real world. So if you understand that someone has a need and you can fulfill it, they would pay you to fulfill that need. So I just had to find the problems and provide the solution. So to me, it was like simple, <laughs> it came instinctively. Well, then tell us about the first client you got. The first client. So I actually did the first few clients for free, pro bono. So initially, like this kid coming to you, let me design your logo. Let me build your website. He doesn't have a background. He doesn't have any referrals. So it was challenging at the time. And I just said, you know what? Let me do it for free because I had the confidence in myself that I can deliver something really great. And I actually did like the first two to three clients for free. And then after that, it was referrals all the way because entrepreneurs tend to know other entrepreneurs. And once you deliver great work, they just start coming to you. And organically, it kind of just took off. Obviously, I was doing the ad side of it for the logos and stuff. But then after, like, let's say less than one year, people were already coming to me, needing the website built and all of that. Because there were other people doing it, but they were like big companies and stuff. But for these smaller businesses, there was no one really serving that niche. So when a guy like me comes in, you know, with a referral, it was much easier to sell them. You know, it's interesting because today there's so much technology that has become easier to use to make the whole technical part of marketing and sales actually much less barriers to entry. Like most people can now use the tools because they've gotten that user friendly. And I love that you've alluded to this whole concept of the psychology that is so necessary. And 
right now it's almost like we get bombarded with messages from a lot of different marketers and they just don't stick. Like my inbox is filled with pitches and I'm just like, I'm not even resonating. And it seems like our spam boxes are getting filled with even more people. And I want to speak to that because for a lot of us, it's like, Hey, we're just at the beginning. We don't have our initial clients. We don't have the referrals, just like how you started. And I'm trying to do these strategies to get at least people's attention. Even if I do it for free, sometimes it feels like I can't even get anybody to respond to me. So in today's world, what do you think are some of the best things that we could pay attention to, to make sure that we can have some of those initial traction clients, whether they're paid or not, that can at least allow us to go improve ourselves? That's an amazing question. So The thing is, I would say the biggest mistake that I see people make when they're starting off is that they try to create the best offer. They try to have the best course or book or program or mastermind, whatever it may be, right? In this space specifically. However, the focus is not on the product and the offer itself. It's about what it would do for that person. So let's zoom out, right? Let's say you go on a flight. You travel a lot like me. And do you look at is this going to be like a Boeing or a Airbus that I'm going to be traveling on? Do you ever research the airline to see that? All right. I don't know if this is going to cut your punchline, but absolutely. Yeah. Oh man, I'm obsessed with that Okay. because I know exactly what planes have what kind of seats and I'll go pick that class. So so the average person, not Jason Mark Campbell, probably won't search for this, right? What they care about is the offer that they get, they would get food along with it, you know, the comfort level, whatever it may be. The airline but they don't care so much about the specific model of the plane, right? So what I would say the biggest mistake people make is they care too much about the specific model of the plane, which is the product that they are selling. So once you go with your actual benefits of what it can do, the transformation, that is what you need to focus on when you're selling. So how do you get the first few customers? You actually need to sell them the future that you promise, whatever outcome they desire. That is what you need to focus on. So If you're a coach, let's say, for weight loss, instead of trying to sell the product immediately, you can get five people, tell them, listen, I have this approach that in two weeks, I can guarantee you you lose five kgs. Would you be willing to sign up for this? Most likely, yes, right? It's free. Then you get your testimonials. Once you have testimonials, these people are your billboards and they are like real billboards. They're not like marketing that you paid. It's real life cases. So from there, it takes off. So this is from a small scale perspective, right? So yeah, people focus too much on the offer, on the product itself, and not on the outcomes that it would actually bring. And you know, I've seen so many cases where somebody will go and build that entire offer, that entire product without having went out to speak to anyone because the sales part, and I know this, this is the kind of people that often come to me because you learn, let's say, get certified in a certain modality, then you build your entire package, but you're so afraid of the sales part, which is the human to human interaction part. So you build this in a vacuum, you put it out there, nobody's buying, you haven't tested it out. And so it's a big, big problem. So I'm glad that you give that approach, which is like find people, solve their problem. Like just start. That's it. That's it. That. That's it. And it seems so obvious when we see it there. Now, today's world, it seems very competitive. It seems like there's a lot of people that are maybe in the similar space. So when someone's trying out to, you know, go out, offer their product and they're brand new, how do you get to stand out amongst the crowd of people that seem so similar to you? Yeah. So Okay, I'll tell you how I do as a marketer specifically. I can give from my example, right? So I have a marketing agency and clients approach me. I approach clients both ways. And every agency out there kind of promises the same thing. Let me build your funnel. Let me run your ads, you know? It's almost cut and paste. It's like everyone is saying the same thing. So 
what I did is I worked with my co-founder and we came up with this concept. Like, what are the key metrics people focus on? It's the same thing I just mentioned, right? What do people want? They want to make more money at the end of the day. And how do we actually do that? And we came down to two metrics, which is customer acquisition cost. So how much does it cost to actually get a customer in your ecosystem? And then your customer lifetime value. How much does a person spend with you throughout their lifetime with being in a relationship with your business, let's say? And that's the promise I go with because every other agency, all the clients say the same thing. Like they've tested so many agencies. They want to come, they want to redo the website, optimize a funnel, do a launch, whatever. That is part of it. However, if you focus on these things, whatever happens to actually support this doesn't really matter as long as you get these metrics moving, right? Mm -hmm. So that is the cell that I go with. Let's zoom out. Let's say, for example, a coach comes to you. Let's say a business coach. Like, how many business coaches are certified every day? Maybe hundreds, right? So if you call yourself a business coach, you're just going to be another business coach. So just reframing a different perspective, you know, you call yourself a business optimization expert. Ah, then you have my attention because that is a different name to already begin with. And then you go with your pitch. So just reframing things. So ideally, you need to differentiate yourself because if you say the same thing, if you follow the same scripts, you do the same program, you get the same certificate and you just do cut and paste stuff, you're just going to be like everyone else. So the ultimate way is find those key differentiators. That way you stand out and look for what people actually want, the end product, where they want to be and zoom in on that specifically. I like that. It's very interesting because you spoke about two metrics that I think for a lot of people that are listening might not be so familiar with those metrics, but for anybody who is in business, those are so important for metrics. And I want us to unpack that a little bit because if somebody's you know running a business, they have a certain amount of customers, they've been doing it for a while, and you're talking about CAC and LTV, customer acquisition costs, as well as long-term value, what is it the biggest thing you notice in companies, say they've been operating for a few years, have their regular clients, that they absolutely miss out when you start actually focusing on these two metrics? Yeah. So let's start with custom acquisition costs, right? Or CAC. So th some of the biggest mistakes that I see there, uh, companies become dependent on advertising. So they're dependent on Facebook or Google or YouTube or TikTok. However, when you have an email list, that is the ultimate asset in today's world as a business. Your email list is your bank account, basically. Now, if you focus on monetizing your list properly, if you focus on your organic audience, you can actually really lower your customer acquisition costs and not become fully dependent on ads. Now, for me, advertising is a long-term game. The purpose of advertising is getting people into your ecosystem, getting leads into your email list, warming them up and then selling to them later. So therefore, it ties to the customer lifetime value, CLTV, right? So in terms of customer acquisition costs, if you're fully dependent on ads, you're always going to have to spend money to get customers. What you want to get to is a point where customers are just coming in every day. And that is your organic strategy. So that would be monetizing your email list, focusing on distribution, on content. So let's say you have a podcast, you have a blog, you do affiliates, you do appearances, people actually speak about you in the press or, you know, you get around. So that way, you're not always having to spend to get a customer. And then the ultimate way to get a customer is from another customer. So I would say always, always, always over deliver. When you over deliver, people are going to rave about you. Like, think about it. If you keep seeing an ad now and then for a specific product, let's say we go to the gym and you want to get new headphones that is specific for when you get sweat all over and you see an ad now and then. However, if I come to you and be like, Jason, 
I've been sweating like crazy every single day and I've been using these earphones and they work the best. Like I have no idea that I'm sweating. It just works. It doesn't slip out. Which one would you more likely be inclined to? I mean, we always going to go for the referral. Exactly. So that's the power of it, right? And the thing is like, we tend to be around people just like us, right? The average person want to be around someone just like them. So if someone is buying your product, there's a high chance that they know someone else who would need your product. So as you start acquiring these customers, you over-deliver and deliver something really good. They're going to be telling other people about it, right? And then that is your organic strategy. That is where you spend less to acquire a customer because it takes care of itself organically. Therefore, your customer acquisition cost starts going down. Okay, so that's the first part of it. Customer lifetime value. Well, hold on. I'm going to put a pause here because we talked about a lot of stuff around customer acquisition costs and I want to make sure I wrap this up correctly. So this is the cost that it is for somebody to come into your ecosystem. If you are somebody that's dependent a lot on paid advertising, know that there should be a way that you're actually transitioning over to organic, which means the ads that you run generate the leads, but then the leads that you have should be creating you value over the long term. So it's not just about, you know, how much money do I make in 30 days from a lead that I acquired through a paid ad, which I know a lot of organizations then to measure, right? So you start realizing that, wow, there's so many activities I can do that actually will compound and create value over the long term, which will drive down the cost. You spoke about the organic, the socials, the things that kind of build social proof and traffic. And the number one thing out of all of this is if you are using a paid mean to get that first customer, ensure that that customer is so happy because that one customer can become three, can become six through the power of referral. And that is the ultimate way to drive down the cost of acquiring a customer. Did I understand that correctly? Yes. Okay. And that for those of you who might not be as technically inclined when it comes to your marketing, this is actually why people hire someone like Neil to come in and look at the numbers because the numbers are really going to be the thing that tell the story for the business. And a big thing that we should all be aware of is if your cost of acquiring a customer is more than the value that you make from a customer, you're going out of business. So it's so important to start looking at these metrics and making sure you're not doing things the wrong way, which brings us to the CLTV. So I want to make sure we have a little breather because there's so much value in what you share. So let's go. So essentially there's a ratio, right? You have your CAC, your customer acquisition cost, how much it costs to bring in a customer. And then on the other side, you have your CLTV, customer lifetime value, or how much someone would spend with you throughout their entire lifetime. You want it high as possible on the CLTV side and low as possible on the customer acquisition side, right? If you're trying to stay focused on getting work done and eating throughout the day is something you think about, have to decide, and you're not sure what to do, and you just wish an option was available where the right meal with all of the specifications you want be available to you, easy to make under two minutes, well, luckily for you, Factor is available where you have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including options like keto, calorie smart, vegan, and veggie. And you can enjoy over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons to help you make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. So what are you waiting for? You can get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking up for something fast that's upscale option done very easily. It's flexible on your schedule where you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. No prep necessary. They're 100% ready to heat and eat. So there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup necessary. Head to factormeals.com slash sellingwithlove50 and use code sellingwithlove50 
to get 50% off. That's code SELLINGWITHLOVE50 at factormeals.com slash SELLINGWITHLOVE50, and you'll get 50% off. Not bad. So CLTV specifically, no. How do you get customers to actually spend more with you? If you have a single offer that is a transactional product, obviously, that is the only thing they're going to buy. However, the more offers you create, then they can buy more. You're giving them the opportunity to buy more, depending on what space you're in, what industry, if it's physical product, digital product, it doesn't matter. So we'll go specifically into the digital product space because that is what most of us are in, right? I would assume. So essentially, in any transformation business, I would say you need to have what is called an ascension ladder. And the typical thought process is that you need to have a funnel. A funnel is where they come in, let's say from a webinar, they buy a product and then that's it. Or maybe get an upsell. So a flywheel now is where there's an ecosystem and they can keep purchasing, they can take different offers and they're always in the ecosystem, right? Now, a huge thing right now is community. Community is how people actually get customers to stay with them for a very long period and up their CLTV. So... With all that being said, how do you actually go about implementing something like this? Well, you need that ascension ladder. So basically, someone comes in, you solve a specific problem. Now, once you solve that problem, they get to another place and they would have a new problem, right? So in your case, let's say, someone comes to you and they really don't know how to pitch. They don't know how to sell their their offer. So they come in and they get confident to create their pitch, to create their offer, and they can go out selling. However... With their clients now, they don't know what next to sell to them. So what you can do is give them that roadmap of what they can actually do next because they don't know. And there is always another level, right? Growth never stops. So that is in the transformation industry. And then after that, people want community. They want to be around like-minded people like themselves. So me, for example, I'm part of masterminds and all of that. When I learn something about marketing, it doesn't stop there. I want to be around other entrepreneurs. So daily, I have conversations with CEOs, with VPs, all these people, and I get to curate that knowledge. I get to know what's happening in the industry. And then beyond that, what's the next step? I may want to go to a physical event and actually meet these people and get value in person and deliver value in person. So there's always another step. And that is, for me personally, what I would want, right? So what you need to do is have that community aspect now within the business Speak to your customers because they have the gold nuggets that would help you actually create offers for them. They tell you what they want. This is the problem I have. And their problem is the solution you would provide, right? That is future business for you. Because at the end of the day, almost every business in this space is a problem-solving business. So your customer's problem is your business, basically. And no one really runs out of problems in their life. So you just need to find more creative ways now of continuously solving these problems. And... Like I said, community element is huge. As the last point where I spoke about referrals, when you have that locked in with community, that just organically takes care of itself because let's say we're in a community for people who love doing extreme races. Obviously, we want to be part of this community where there's people just like us. And in there, whatever, if a guy recommends a Garmin watch, we're going to be like, oh, we need to get the Garmin. You know, so it just organically takes off because when these people are together, they they help each other. They actually source the solutions for their problems. And if you're that person who is kind of curating this, leading this, they would turn to you to actually give direction and further spend with you. Obviously, you would be delivering value for them continuously, right? Throughout the entire uh, relationship that you have with these customers. So it's much deeper than just 
having a product, having a second offer, having a third offer. It's like, how do these people stay within an ecosystem? And community is a huge element that is really picking up now. People are actually full-time employees just being a community manager now, whether it's on Discord or Telegram or Facebook group even. So that is how important it is to keep people engaged. Yeah. No, I totally resonate with that. And the power community is something that I'm observing myself and I made sure to get somebody that helps me make sure that that's being well taken care of because I noticed that even when people aren't ready to become your customer yet, you can still provide so much value for them to get to a point where they might become a customer exactly. later. I love the whole concept of the Ascension Pyramid because again, there's sometimes that there's customers that might not be in a financial position to be able to spend tens of thousands exactly. of dollars with you. Yet, if you're able to put something that's a bit more accessible, they can do a bit more of their work themselves, then at least you get to share, help, and make an impact at whatever level they're at. One of the things I like a lot about what Neil's speaking about is it's always about the conversations with the problems that you want to solve for the client. And I think one of the biggest things that is negatively impacting the industry as a whole when it comes to marketing and sales is as it's becoming easier with the technology, as it's becoming more automated with the technology, we start thinking that we don't need to have these conversations as much. And rather, I think the ones that stand out and have the most success are the people that stop, realize that it's not about sending an automated survey. It's about having conversations. Have you noticed what difference happened in people's purchasing behavior? And this is a bit of a wild card, but you know, COVID happened, switched a lot of stuff to the digital space. And since we're speaking about this, have we noticed a big shift in consumer spending behavior when it comes to post-COVID, when it comes to online products? There was a huge spike during COVID, right? Like everyone who had digital products, they saw a huge increase. And I haven't seen a decline I won't say there was a massive increase, but there has not been a decline. People are still spending because at the end of the day, it's education, it's transformation. However, what I have seen is the need for physical events after, and that is booming right now. So I'll give you an example. Uh, I can tie it to CLTV offers and then the physical events, the need for physical events. So I have a client in Germany, Flowgrade. It's a company that specializes in like supplements, biohacking programs. So it's run by my client, Max Kotzler. He's a biohacker, one of the most famous biohackers in Germany. So I'm basically a part-time CMO for him. And the thing is, he has his regular products. He has his low ticket offer, what we would call at like 500 euros. And what we did is we start asking around because we wanted to create a product that is much more high ticket, tailored for like entrepreneurs, high performers. And we actually surveyed the list. We went in, spoke to people, and that's how we crafted the offer, right? So therefore, extending the CLTV. And then he's on the last week right now of delivering this program. It was eight weeks and people are going crazy for it. They love it. They absolutely love it because it didn't exist before and there was nothing for these people specifically and organically. The next step is that these people now want to meet in person because they spent eight weeks, all entrepreneurs online, doing this program, going deep into health and business and mindset, all of this. And now the next step naturally is to take it offline. So all of these online programs, all of these events that you can do online, people still need that face-to-face -face interaction because it's a whole different ballgame when we're inhuman, in-person together. Mm -hmm. I have noticed that trend. And, you know, we both left Mind Valley, but we're still always in good 
terms and I got invited to go to their event in Dubai and there was 2000 people there and that was the biggest event they've done so far yeah. and people were just wow they were so excited about getting a chance to come back together I'm seeing a lot of these organizers are actually taking the time to put some things back on the calendar meetups that is more about fueling the community paid events at a really high price point too is really starting to take off which kind of brings me to one aspect that I hear a lot happening in marketing and in sales and since you're so into this industry I want you to share your opinion around this because I've seen a lot of ads that speak about things like learn how to sell high ticket, high ticket, high ticket, and high ticket being like, hey, you got to sell something expensive. And I'd be curious to know your opinion. Is the reason we're seeing so many conversations around selling high ticket simply for the appeal of who they're selling to? So they're trying to attract people that want to make money with selling high ticket, or is this an actual trend in the marketplace that we need to pay attention to, to be successful? I think it's both. I can give an example, but I can't disclose publicly what I'm working on, but I'm working on something high ticket. I've worked on high ticket offers in the past. And when I say high ticket, I'm talking six figures right now. However, it is a filtering mechanism to an extent, depending on the product, depending on the industry. Because if someone can spend X amount, let's say 10 grand to go to an event, to be part of a group, it means that they're competent. It means that they are making a certain level and that the People in there are, let's say, self-curated. So that is one element to it. Obviously, from a business perspective, it's better to sell one product for 10000 than a hundred at 100 bucks. So that is one side, the filtering mechanism. The other side is just more efficient as a business. And then, obviously, you would have your low-ticket products, which would appeal to a certain crowd, and then you have your high-ticket products, which would appeal to another crowd, which would take more effort, which would take more of your time, more resources. Because if you create, like, let's say, an online... If you create an online course, let's say, and you charge 500 bucks, that is created once, and you can keep selling it. However, if you want to do something more high-ticket, it's going to require more of your time. You're going to be there in person. You're going to have to do lives. So there is the input that is required for this as well. But you have to know what you want as a person, what you are willing to deliver, and then your audience, who is in there that are capable of spending, or do they actually want this offer? What problem you're solving with this offer? Because with the high-ticket offers specifically, let's say you're targeting entrepreneurs who experience burnout, who overwork themselves, who stressed out. However, they may not even be aware that they have an issue. So the way you speak to them may have to be different. You don't say burnout. You don't say they have to work less, right? You say, how can they work more efficient? How can they optimize their routines better? How can they get more out of the hours in their day? And then it's like a Trojan horse and you get them in, you know, and feed them what they actually need, which is to actually slow down, take care of themselves, focus on their health, all of this. So... You have to know like your audience, who exists, what offers do they want, and then you create it. Again, like we started in the beginning, it starts with problem solving. That is all it is. It's problem solving. For people that are just starting out who see the appeal of a high ticket offer, do you think there's actually a certain prerequisite before someone goes out to sell high ticket? Or do you think anybody just starting can do it? No, prerequisite is that you need to have results. Because... You can be a certified coach or certified in something and then you want to go out and sell high tickets. But if you don't have traction, if you never actually deliver this because theory is one thing, but you need practical. So this is why I always recommend like the most important thing is referrals. So even if you get one person and you know you can help them, you can apply it to them and use them as a case study, use them as a testimonial. That is your story. That is what would do the selling. So if you're fresh 
out and trying to get high ticket, it may be very difficult to actually sell something if you don't have any track record, let's say. I would agree to that. I think the promise of high ticket sometimes gets oversold and the competency hasn't been developed for people to have the confidence that is necessary to bring those results. That is a very important point because the confidence is what sells. You can go to someone and be like, I have a high ticket offer, I'm a certified coach and I can help you do X and X. But if within yourself, you know, I haven't actually done anything, I haven't actually delivered it's going to be there energetically when you speak, the way you carry about yourself, you're always going to have that self-doubt and you don't ever want to have that. If you just help one person, that doubt is going to go away because you know you've done it before. Yeah. It's very interesting. We speak a lot about this in the Selling with Love methodology. The doubt and the insecurity around the pricing is never in the mind of the buyer. It's actually in the mind of the seller. And so if there's some struggle with selling something at a certain price point, we feel like we need to discount. It's not because of any cue from the buyer. It's mostly because of our own confidence. Yeah. What I find particularly interesting about your journey is that it actually follows a journey that I've also had, which is, you know, I had my company before working for Mindvalley. Mm-hmm. And you had your agency before working for Mindvalley. And then you made a decision to go get a job in a world that says you need to be an entrepreneur. Why work for the man? Why do the nine to five is like considered like the evil decision that if you make that decision, it means you're a failure and you didn't make it as an entrepreneur. Yet you went and made that decision. And I'd be curious to know, like, what was the mindset around going to get that job and what result did it bring for you? Yeah. So... The main reason why I went to Mind Valley was to learn, was to connect, was to build my network, was to get exposure. And the transformation that has brought is like, I can't even summarize it into one thing because I get to meet people like you and still people like you are my closest friends today. I have so many opportunities after Mind Valley, after I worked on the membership and everything, like people would come to me in the industry now to get my advice, to get my consultation. And they come to my agency because of the fact that I work for Mind Valley. So to me, I saw more than just a job. I saw an opportunity to learn, to connect, to build a global network and to get opportunities in the future. And I'm still part of Mind Valley somehow. Every day it comes up. You know, I still go to the events. I still connect with people there. It's just an amazing community. And as I mentioned, like that is essentially what you want as a business. You want community. People want to be part of this. They want to belong to something. And Mind Valley is one of the best examples of that. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, to your point as well, like knowing that going to get a job accelerates your results when it comes to experience. And I think that, you know, in the space that encourages entrepreneurship, sometimes they do a disservice for a lot of people that need to kind of sharpen their own skills. And I think that the accelerated ecosystem of an organization that has set processes, that have skills, and you get to outsource risk, right? That's a huge thing. Remember, like when we did product launches, you were part of the product launch team before me. Like imagine sending an email to a million people (laughs) and then making a mistake on the subject line. And that did happen in reality, right? The trust was in us to actually do this. And then I can guarantee you that it never happened again because you learned the lesson the hard way. And we were never punished for it. We were actually encouraged to make mistakes because it will help us get better, right? Yeah. So that's the beauty of it. Being plugged into the right organization, let's say, because it's easy to just focus on the money. Because I did have a job before in oil and gas and it was high paying compared to other jobs in the Caribbean, right? Like superb job in comparison to jobs there. And uh, I wasn't learning. So it just didn't make sense. So I would say as a young person in your 20s, whatever age you are, like your main focus should be learning. It should be upskilling yourself, you know, getting actual, 
getting your hands on, actually getting down and dirty and actually upskilling. I love it. Yeah. Well, Neil, honestly, I really enjoy our conversations. Obviously, we go way back. For those who don't know, me and Neil are still very, very close. And I get to admire the work that you do with the clients that you serve, being able to help them do these amazing launches, scale up their businesses, think of things differently. And I've also heard you on the phone actually do some sales yourself, which, you know, for everyone I bring on the show here, there's one question I love to ask, which is, what does selling with love mean to you? Selling with love means to me that I can authentically solve someone's problem. So at the end of the day, people pay me to solve a specific problem. And that problem may be that I don't have enough money in my bank account, which is completely fine as long as they're delivering value. So you know the concept of a humanity plus company, which is companies that do good in the world. I won't ever work for a company that actually does destructive stuff, that actually sells malicious stuff ever. And that is like an unbreakable rule for me. So selling with love comes from a place of, these people actually bringing value to the world, actually moving humanity forward in some way or the other, bringing transformation, education, whatever it may be. So it's me aligning myself with these businesses to actually deliver stuff in the world. And it doesn't even feel like selling at the end of the day. I never go in with a script or anything. It's like they come to me, they have a problem. And if I can solve it, I just tell them what I can do for them. And it just flows naturally. Neil, thank you so much for coming on the show. So much wisdom that was impact on this episode. And just for everybody paying attention, since a lot of technical terms were shared, let me do a perspective of what I captured the most from this content episode. So number one, the whole aspect of staying close to the consumer and understanding psychology, whether it's in personal relationships, whether it's in business, we're all humans communicating with each other. And if we can become very interested in behavior, psychology is going to be the foundations that are necessary that will differentiate people that are successful or not when it comes to sale and marketing and building their business. The tools are getting better. The technical barriers to being successful are becoming lower and lower. So our understanding about humans and being able to connect with them is going to be one of the biggest competitive advantage we can deliver. As Neil mentioned as well, when you're so interested in solving problems, we get to actually create solutions that will solve those actual problems. So don't be so obsessed about what exactly you need to create as a product. Have the conversations with the people that you want to serve and see what you can create that specifically solves their problems. I love what Neil spoke about when it came to increasing customer lifetime value, which is this concept of an ascension, which is what are different price point products that you can create for the journey that your clients might be going on. They could be a seven-figure business. They could be a six-figure business. They could just be starting out. And an example from my own business is that I have a book available that can be accessible to many. I have an accelerator program that helps people really get results when they're at that level. And you get to actually have monetization opportunities throughout the journey of your clients. The journey never ends if you're always providing value. I also love what Neil shared around customer acquisition costs, which paid ads can be a really great way to measure money in, money out to get the transactions, but we want to pay attention to the things that will lower that cost over the long term. These are assets you create like content marketing, social media, and things that will really put your name out there. And one of the biggest things that will actually massively reduce your customer acquisition cost is delivering amazing value so you get referral. That is the single biggest thing that you can do to impact your results and your sales in your business. All of this was a fantastic conversation. Neil, thank you so much for coming on the show. And for everybody else, keep selling with love. 
I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.